the antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck.
I hope you're ready for this. I'm going to open up another episode from the Antidote Archives. This band began 30 years ago and continue to make new music and to sell out shows everywhere they go. Here comes the Antidote's 2013 visit with Striper. One of the best-known songs ever recorded by a Christian artist. To Hell with the Devil from our guest for the night, the one and only Striper. This is Dave Hawkins with The Antidote. Striper's long been considered as a band that really defined the sound of 80s metal, and the band was equally accepted by both Christian and mainstream audiences, which was unusual for the 80s. But the 80s uh, were far from the end of Striper's career. In fact, they are set to release their latest album, Second Coming, next Tuesday. Tonight on The Antidote, we have an exclusive first look at this album. Plus, Michael Sweet, lead vocalist and guitarist for Striper, gave The Antidote a call to discuss the past, present, and future of this influential band. Let's start off with a portion of our chat with Michael Sweet. The Antidote is here with lead vocalist and guitarist Michael Sweet of the legendary band Striper. Michael, thanks for joining The Antidote. Hey, thank you guys. Likewise, I appreciate you taking the time. Am I trying to make you old before your time? Are you guys too young to be called legendary? Well, I don't know. I, I, I know that we're celebrating our 30-year anniversary, so I don't know what the, uh, the time frame is or what you have to follow in terms of rules and years uh, to call something legendary or someone legendary, but I do feel that we've been doing this for a long time, uh, and we've accomplished many incredible things over the past 30-year span, and um, thank God we got started at an early age. I, I signed uh, my first record deal with Enigma when I was 20. So I'm, I'm going to be 50 in a few months. So I'm still relatively young, I guess. Well, now speaking about over 30 years, so has your outlook or your message changed since those early days? I think, you know, fundamentally it's the same exactly, but I also do believe that through life's experiences and things that we've gone through personally we've uh, you know our depth is a little more intense and our maturity is a little higher I would hope we've learned a lot we've gone through a lot and I think you can hear that in our music you can read that in our lyrics and hear that in interviews and I think we've come a long way definitely let's talk about the general Christian music market over those years. So looking at it in retrospect, how much has Christian music changed since Striper first began? You know, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. Um, In all fairness, I don't keep up on Christian music. Um, I'm not tapped into Christian music. I couldn't even tell you who's on the Christian charts right now. Um, I'd have no clue. You know, when you talk talk Christian music and... and, uh, ask me anything about Christian music, I'm going to throw out names like, you know, uh, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure Christian music's come a long way since then, but we've just never really been a part of that club. It's not that we've separated or distanced ourselves from that club, but it's just that we've, we've always done things at our own pace and in our own way. Certainly lining up with the Word of God and and the plan and direction that God has in store for our lives under His guidance. But at the same time, it's just against the typical CCM. We've never been on the CCM path, you know, Um, nor have we ever tried to be. 
uh, we just do things differently, man. We're, we're cut from a different mold, uh, shaped from a different mold, and, uh, you know, that's really the only way I can put it. So to answer your question in, in kind of a long, drawn-out way, uh, I have no clue. <laughs> Fair enough. Just to fill you in, uh, the antidote is definitely not CCM. Absolutely. And again, nothing against CCM, nothing against Christian artists. You know, they do what they do. We do what we do. We've always been the black sheep of the family. We've never purposely set out to be. It's just who we are. You know, most Christian artists were raised in the church. Their dads were ministers and they grew up on the, in the choir and, you know, sitting in, in the pew every Sunday. Striper was raised on Sunset Boulevard. You know, and our church was Gazari's, the Whiskey A Go-Go, every Sunday. So, I mean, we, we grew up in a whole different uh, lifestyle, and um, we gave our hearts, committed our hearts to God, uh, you know, when I was 20 years old. But prior to that, you know, I lived a, a life, gosh, I probably put in a good 25 or 30 years prior to that easily. And I, I just said recently that I'm almost 50 years old, but I feel like I've lived the life of a 90-year-old. And I don't mean that in terms of how I feel physically. I just mean that in terms of what I've been through, what I've seen, what I've experienced. Um, it just makes for a different setup. We're just completely different. We're not like any other Christian band. And that was our opening segment with Michael Sweet of Striper. Now, back in 2005... The band saw the release of their abysmal Reborn album, but they more than redeemed themselves for it back in 2009 with an album that could be regarded as one of their greatest, The Tremendous Murder by Pride. And here's the title track.
you know, you were really the original band that could sort of bridge that chasm between Christian and non-Christian audiences. So you probably took some heat because Striper's well known for throwing Bibles into the crowd, but I think in the past some Christians have wanted to give Striper a thump with their own Bible to try to change your own musical ways. So how did you respond to those critics? You're right, you know, back in the 80s, and we would go out and we would give them tickets and say, hey, come on in, you know, come check out the show. And I don't think they knew what to take of that. I think they expected a confrontation and were looking for a confrontation or a debate. And we never gave them that. We'd always go out and just say, man, do you even know what we're about? Have you even seen us? And they'd say, no. And we'd say, well, why don't you come in and see what we're about before you come out and lambast us and, and tell people that we're wolves in sheep's clothing. Don't judge us by our cover, you know? Don't judge the book by its cover. Read the book. See what we're about. And they'd come in sometimes. Sometimes they wouldn't. And, you know, we've always tried to, you know, get people to come into the camp and understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, why we play bars, why we record covers, why we make an album like The Covering. You know, there's a method to our madness. Well, talk about that album. Talk about The Covering, where you did do the covers. Because, I mean, it was extraordinary. It was extremely well done. What drew you into doing that album? Well, it was just a simple, you know, years and years and years of people wanting to know where we come from musically. Through interviews, fans, continuously asking us, hey man, what do you listen to? Who inspired you musically? We know who inspired you spiritually, but who inspired you musically? And, you know, we just thought it'd be really cool and really different, really fun and unique to go and make a record that showed that and answered those questions you know, 20 or 25 years worth of questions, and that's why we made the covering. And just to say, look, here's where we come from. These bands and these specific songs shaped us and made us who we are, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for these bands and these songs, and that's really true. Conversely, you've also created the same aspect where your music uh, inspired dozens and dozens of performers over the years. Well, you know, that's the ultimate compliment, and I mean, that that's really amazing to know that we did in some way shape or form even if it's a small way inspire other people other artists other musicians that's really incredible uh but you know we just wanted to show people where we come from and we were very cautious in how we chose the songs you know there were songs that were on the list that we took off the list because they were definitely a little overboard in terms of the lyric of content or or what have you and you know, we we really tried to use wisdom in in, in the song choices and the uh, sequence of the record. And, you know, we had a blast making it, man. And we we stand by the record. We're proud that we made the record. We have no no red flags whatsoever. You, you read some comments online of people that were blown away and shocked and really let down that we made the record. And you just got to kind of wonder, like, well, well why? <laughs> and I just did an interview with a guy who said, well, maybe someone will go out and buy a Black Sabbath album because they heard you doing Sabbath and they think it's okay. And I said, well, okay, so then let's apply that to cigarettes. Do you, because you go outside a restaurant and you see someone smoking a cigarette, do you want to go buy a pack of cigarettes? And I said, if you do, that's your choice. You're the dummy for doing that. And, you know, not to be harsh or disrespectful, but it's it's true. It's really as simple as that. I mean, we we all have choices and we all make our own choices. And unfortunately, many times they're not wise ones. And 
by us making a cover album, we're not endorsing you know those bands. We're not endorsing their lifestyles or who they are or what they stand for. We're just saying to people, hey, these are the songs that you know inspired us to be musicians. It's really the simplicity in that project, and there's nothing more to it. Um, and and again, we did use wisdom and caution in how we chose the songs, and and we scratched off a lot of songs. And I think that the ones we wound up going with, like Heaven and Hell, for example, that particular Black Sabbath song, that's a lyric that Striper, that myself, I could have written and would have written and been proud to have written. You know, there's nothing evil about that lyric. So, but I guess the association with Sabbath makes it questionable in some people's minds. But you know. The song itself, the lyric itself, it's it's a great song. And here's the song in question, the one that would fit into any Christian musician's repertoire. From the covering album, Striper's cover of Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell.
I don't think you have to take on the role of being a babysitter for Christians. Well, I, you're right. You're absolutely right. But, you know, unfortunately, I mean, the world we live in, sometimes you, you do have to kind of uh, voice your opinion, or at least maybe not voice your opinion is the right terminology, but you should ex- explain yourself. You know, you're, you're sometimes forced to explain yourself by people. Uh, and I agree with you. you. We shouldn't have to babysit, but at the same time, we we do need to express and tell people why we do what we do, and because they they want to know. And it seems so black and white to me, you know, most of the time. It, it's very black and white, and uh, but that's just not the world we live in. Um, there's a lot of gray area people out there, and and they they have difficulty understanding why people do what they do no fair enough to talk about your own music stripers produce a multitude of songs over the years would you ever choose a single track and say this song defines striper as a band oh gosh yeah i would probably say in terms of old classic songs i'd probably say songs like soldiers under command i mean that really clarifies who we are and what we've always set out to be, which is soldiers under command. We're under God's command, and we are soldiers going out there on the on the battle lines and, and kicking down the gates of hell, you know. And and we have been for years. We've taken a lot of heat for it. Um, we've come under fire, but it hasn't stopped us, and we see no signs of stopping uh, anytime in the near future. So, I think that song pretty much says it all. Uh, right there Soldiers Under Command it's one we play live every night every time we perform Uh, it's of course on the second coming and uh, it's it's a classic
Stripers shied away from their glam metal sound for what would be their most popular track of all time. Critics complained that it was syrupy sweet, but record sales skyrocketed. From their platinum album to Hell with the Devil comes the enormously successful power ballad, Honestly. Hey 
everybody, this is Michael Sweet with Striper, and you are listening to The Antidote with Dave Hawkins. Let's talk about your upcoming album, Second Coming, which comes out on March 26th of this year. So now, along with two new tracks, Blackened and Bleeding from the Inside Out, you've decided to re-record a number of earlier Striper tracks. So why not just leave the originals alone and record new songs? There's a number of reasons why we did this record, but the most important reason that people may or may not know about is we did this record for ourselves. We didn't do it for the fans. We set out to make a record to re-record these songs because we just wanted to own the masters. Uh, We have a label that owns the catalog, which is Disney, Hollywood. We signed a publishing deal with Songs Pub. And, you know, the middleman is Disney. So when, whenever Songs Pub uh, pitches a song for a, a movie or television, they got to get approval from Disney. Okay? And mm-hmm. most of the time, that isn't an easy task. It's a very difficult task. Either they don't return calls, or if they do, they want more money, or if they don't want more money, they want this or they want that. And a lot of times, often enough, it makes the deal go south. So we just kind of grew tired of that and said, okay, we're going to re-record these songs and then there will be no middleman because we'll own the masters. And that's what we did. And once we started recording the songs a year and a half ago, or even a little over a year and a half ago, we thought, wow, these are turning out really cool. You know, maybe it'd be great to offer these to the fans. And that's when we started talking to other companies about releasing it. And we wound up doing a deal with Frontiers, who was very excited about that possibility which became a reality, and we're releasing the record, and the fans seem really excited about it. We didn't set out to better the originals. We just set out to re-record the originals and fix a few things in the process, like cymbals being uh, gated to the bass guitar being low in the mix to the guitars not being high enough in the mix to whatever. And we really wound up resolving those issues, all of them. So now when I listen to the record, I put it in, you're going to hear a continuity. You know, it's very consistent. So you have these three albums early in our career that now sound like one album. We somehow managed to, by the grace of God, capture uh, the vibe that we have live, which we've never captured on any record before. And most fans, if you were to poll Striper fans and you'd say, what do you prefer, Striper album or Striper Live? They're going to say Striper Live because there's a certain energy that isn't captured on the records that we capture live. This record, however, it almost feels live. It's got like this really cool energy to it that you can only get when you see the band live. So it's really great to have somehow pulled those things off and, and at the same time the icing on the cake is to have fixed all the issues that we hated before that made it impossible for me to listen to the records. I can't listen to Yellow and Black Attack at all. You know, I can, I can somehow twist my arm and get myself to listen to Soldiers and to Hell but I cannot listen to Yellow and Black Attack but now I can. I can listen to Loud and Clear and Loving You because they sound good to me now. From the upcoming Striper album, Second Coming, is this new recording of Loud and Clear.
So give us some input about the new songs, you know, Bleeding from the Inside Out and Blackened. But where'd you draw your inspiration for those tracks? Well, you know, I'm the guy that writes the stuff, and I'm always writing, and I've always got songs coming out of me. I'm writing the new album right now. I just started a week ago. I had about 54 ideas on my phone that I came home from South America, and I started structuring and arranging and, and making them complete songs. I've been home for about six days, and I've got about seven songs completed right now, so I've still got uh, five more to go. And before the guys come out to my house uh, a week from tomorrow, and we're going to start pre-production. So I'm a little under the gun. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm a weird, uh, very odd bird in the sense that whenever it's time to go into writing mode, if I get a call from the label and they say, okay, you have to start writing in a week. When that week comes, I go, I pull out my guitars and I sit in a chair and I, at my computer and I start writing. <laughs> and thank God, you know, miraculously, songs come and ideas come and I'm able to, to bang out 12 songs. And that's the way it was for Bleeding and um, Blackened. Those two songs, it's like, okay, you got to write two songs for this record. I sat down, I, write those, I wrote those two songs. That's the way it was for God on the covering. That came to me in my sleep. I went down the next morning and wrote the song. The guys came out the next day. I taught it to them, and we recorded it. Murder by Pride, same way. All the songs were just kind of banged out. And, you know, it's almost as if, and call it a blessing or a curse, I think it's a little of both at times, where I have these songs in my head constantly to the point where I'm distracted by it. Uh, My wife will be trying to have a conversation with me, my daughter, and I'm sitting there nodding my head, looking at them, but I'm internally humming a song. So I didn't hear a word they just said, you know? And, and that's where it becomes a curse. Because it's just, there's always a song in my head, you know? Thank God I've been able to apply that and use that to my advantage when it comes to writing songs for the band or for my solo albums as well. i 
That was the new re-recording of Free found on Second Coming. Free time is something Michael Sweet is really needing some more of. Listen to this portion of the interview for an explanation. Are you going to be out touring in support of this album? Absolutely. We're going to tour this year. I don't know how much, not overseas, just U.S., maybe anywhere from 10 to 20 shows from June to September. We're going to record a new album starting April 2nd. That'll be turned in June 1st. So basically two months working hard on that. We turn it in June 1st. We'll start touring. And then at the middle of September, we'll probably come home. And then I'm supposed to go out and start rehearsing with TNN, which is the Dawkins guys, George Lynch, Jeff Pilson, and Mick Brown. They asked me to be the singer for their tour. They're going to go out and tour this year in October. And we're going to go to Japan and do Loud Park together. And then when I get back from that, Striper's going to do another album, which is going to be a live in rehearsals with the live audience record. And we're going to do that in November. Uh, and then I'm supposed to start writing another record in December and January for uh, Frontiers Records, a whole different project. Uh, I've got my record coming out this year, my book coming out this year. So it's a crazy, crazy, crazy year. Aren't you at the age where you want to start slowing down a little bit instead of dialing things up? Um, in some areas. Like, I tend to want to tour a little less these days. You know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of leaving for three, four, five, six weeks at a time. So I definitely do less of that. But I do a lot more writing and a lot more recording uh, than I've ever done before in my life. Oh 
That last track may come as a surprise, but Michael Sweet was a member of Boston for a time. Sweet was asked to fill in as lead vocalist for what was intended to be Boston's final show. After the success of that concert, Boston decided they were going to carry on, and Sweet remained on as vocalist until 2011. Thanks for listening in to The Antidote with Dave Hawkins. If you need another listen to the music of Striper, check out their website at striper.com. And you can snag a copy of the new album coming out on March 26th. Or you can also check out a recording of tonight's episode at theantidoteradio.com. But we're going to say goodbye to Michael Sweet, and we're going to finish The Antidote up for tonight with our feature on Striper with this excellent new single from Second Coming, Bleeding from the Inside Out. We've been speaking with Michael Sweet from Striper. Michael, you're awesome. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, thank you, buddy. Have a good one, and I will hopefully see you guys soon. God bless. Take care. The next episode from the Antidote Archives involves a band that should have been at the very top of the music scene, but that never happened. Next week, you'll hear Kai Kai, and you'll understand why I question why they didn't become the most popular band on the planet.
out Wounded beyond You're your recognition You're bandaged in fear and doubt Brought to your knees by life 